You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. constantly looking to do some good in the flesh. Well, if I do this, God will love me more. If I do this, I'll be more esteemed by God. If I do this, I'll get a better place in heaven. And all these things we do, that we think that there's some redeeming characteristic in our flesh that will cause God to love me more. That's false thinking. That's false teaching. God could never love you more than he does right now. God already sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, long before you were even born, before you thought a sinful thought or attempted any good deeds. As Pastor Dave will remind us today, nothing you can do, absolutely nothing, can affect God's love for you. He loves you, and you just have to lean into it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6. As he continues his message, it begins with complaining. yourself a disciple, but are you? Do you hear words and go, ooh, that's hard. Ooh, I don't want any of that. Unfortunately, I call these disciples Dino. Yeah, D-I-N-O. Disciples in name only. (laughs) Disciples in name only. One commentator said this, these so-called disciples found Jesus' words somewhat mysterious but it was the parts that they did understand that were really disturbing to him. They understood what he was saying. Jesus had said, I came that you eat my flesh to give my life for the world. I'm giving my life sacrifice for the world. They understood the word sacrifice. They knew what Jesus was trying to say. Remember what John said way back in the beginning of the Gospel of John? John the Baptist? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It might as well be saying if I yell right now, Batman, you don't turn around, you know exactly what to look for. Some weird guy in a cape and a thing on his jaw. I don't know. <laughs> the Jews knew what he was saying when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He knew what he was saying, they were, what John was saying. Why is the gospel so offensive? Why does the gospel offend? I can tell you why. Because it contains the message of the cross. It contains the message of the cross. The offense is that the magnitude of God's solution for sin is the slaughter of his own son. And this shows the magnitude of our wickedness, our frailty, and our inability. And that's why it's offensive. Yes, read the gospel. But Dave, it's a gospel of love. It sure is absolutely talks about God's love. You read the gospel and you find out that you've been loved more than you ever dreamed possible. But at the same time, when you read the gospel, you'll find out that you're more of a sinner than you've ever imagined in your entire life. That becomes repugnant to us. That becomes hard to us except me, a sinner? 
A sinner? That becomes repugnant. The cross declares to us just how dire our condition is apart from Jesus Christ. The cross announces just how deep sin goes. How profound the rebellion is. How impossible it is without Jesus Christ to come to God. The cross shows us that. There's nothing we can do. There's no effort on your part. There's no law you can follow. There's nothing you can do except by faith believe. The cross shows us that. The message of Christ crucified says you're an absolute failure in your relation. And what is much most important, your relationship to God. We're absolute failures in our relationship to God. The horror of killing the Son of God points to the horror of our condition. As we said, never ever limit the work of the cross. Do not limit the work of the cross. Because the cross embodies some of those offensive things possible. This gruesome death that Jesus died, I deserved it. This hell that Jesus endured, I deserved it. Shame, the scorn that Jesus underwent, I deserved it. I deserved it. And all these things are, are, are suitable to the sinners just as they are suitable to the sinless one. The respect, the disrespect, the hurt. And I love Jesus' reply in verse 62. He says, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? What, what if you see the Son of Man ascend back into heaven? I love this. Beckley, he's saying, if you find this offensive, how about if you see me go up to my father? I love this because in Acts 1, <laughs> this is exactly what happened. In Acts 1, they're all standing around, and whoop, Jesus goes up. He's gone before them. I love that. And Jesus says something that we've heard before in a different way. He says in 63 and, and, and 64a, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. I think this is very similar to what he said to Nicodemus. You must be born of the spirit. You must be born again of the spirit. Flesh profits nothing. Physical manna that your fathers ate in the wilderness? Well, guess what? They all died. They all died. Paul addresses this in Romans 7. In Romans 7, verse 18, the apostle writes these words. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. Here's my problem. I don't believe that yet. For I always think that I can reform my flesh. I always think that I can prove upon my flesh. I always think that I can take my flesh for performance and make it okay before God. And it seems that I'm constantly looking to do some good in the flesh. Well, if I do this, God will love me more. If I do this, I'll be more esteemed by God. 
If I do this, I'll get a better place in heaven. And all these things we do, we think that there's some redeeming characteristic in our flesh that will cause God to love me more. That's false thinking. That's false teaching. God could never love you more than he does right now. No matter what you do for him, he will not love you any more than he does right now. How much more does he have to show you how much he loves you than to allow his son to die on the cross? How much more? What more does he have to do to show you this great, wonderful love he has than to allow his own dear son, his only begotten son, to die on a cross? But what do we do? Well, God loves me because I'm so sweet. I'm so dashing. God loves me because I'm a cool guy. I never lose my temper. I always react in such a generous way. And then we say to someone else, too bad you're not so generous and kind like me. We haven't come to the full acknowledgement yet that nothing in my flesh is good. Nothing. And Jesus said the flesh profits nothing. The flesh will not be redeemed. Nothing in the flesh will be redeemed. Everything you do in the flesh will be burned up. You get on that beam of seat of Christ, and he starts looking at you, looking at your life in the past, and you go, look, Lord, remember when I did that for me? You didn't do that for me. You did that for you. Gone. Burn up. I can take you all the way back to the Old Testament in Genesis to prove that the flesh means nothing. All the way back to the book of Genesis, Abraham goes into the handmaid Sarah, uh, Hagar with Sarah's permission. That's a different story. What he was thinking, I don't know. Anyhow, he goes in. He conceives a child. His name is Ishmael. But he's not the child of promise. He's not the promised child that God gave him. He's a child of the flesh. And when God starts telling Abraham that he will have a child with Sarah, even though they're old, Abraham's words to God are, oh, that Ishmael may walk before you. The flesh. Let the flesh walk before you. And God said, no way. No way. No. No way. Paul goes a step further also in Philippians 3.3 that 3, tells us not to have any confidence in the flesh. Don't have any confidence in the flesh. Don't trust in your own ability to be righteous before God through external works of the flesh. Only trust in Jesus' work on the cross that is completed. I need to come to that truth. I don't know about some of you guys, but I need to come to that truth. I need to learn that I have no confidence at all in my flesh. And in, in the years that I've been walking with the Lord, I found that there are places where I have confidence in the flesh, and those are the places where the Lord allows me to fall right on my face. Because I've had confidence in the flesh and not in Him. I had confidence in what my flesh can do and not what he's already done. God has allowed me to fall. Why? To show me that I don't have the capacity. I don't have the power in my own flesh to be equal and righteous before God. The flesh profits me nothing. Jesus was offering these Jews spiritual life. He said the bread he was offering, his sacrifice on the cross is the bread that gives eternal life to the world. This, is, this language here is both figurative and spiritual. There is no salvation in the flesh. Because of my words, Jesus said, some of you won't believe. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He knows what's in your heart today. He looks and sees exactly what's in your heart. Jesus continues. 
at the end, for Jesus knew from the beginning, I'm at the end of 64, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And he goes back to this. He repeats this that he repeated before. He repeats this. He rebuked their own material and earthly motivations in following him. They did not seek him for spiritual food. They sought him for food to nourish their bodies. If they did not seek him by the Spirit, they couldn't seek him. They wouldn't find him. These folks have followed him all the way around the Sea of Galilee, but they came for food. They didn't trust in him as Savior. They didn't trust in him for his sacrifice. They didn't believe in him. They didn't love him. And finally, in verse 66, we come to the end of the progression. The, 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 the progression started with complaining, went to murmuring, went to arguing and complaining, and look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Started out with a little complaining, a little malcontent, and ended up in rejection, rejecting the Savior of the world. Rejecting the one who came to save his people from his sins. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah's wonderful counselor, mighty God, holy one. Many were confused and they were, were discouraged by the complaining and murmuring and quarreling and arguing. These religious leaders knew exactly what they were doing. They both misunderstood Jesus' words and then they spread their venom. They spread their venom throughout the crowd via complaints and murmurs until they got into an argument. This contention confused the minds of the others, discouraged them that were trying to follow Jesus. One thing we have to take note here, and this is important, Jesus understood the offense that many of his listeners took to his teacher, teaching, but he didn't change his teaching. He never softened the message. He never softened the message. Today, too many podiums, too many pulpits are giving a soft message. They're giving a soft message that doesn't contain sin, that doesn't contain hell. They're giving a soft message that might not even contain the cross. They're giving a soft message. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't preach to please the audience. He didn't preach to please those who were listening to him. If he did, he would immediately take him back his words, but he did not. Now, as I studied these, I came up with several things, and, and you have to forgive me if they don't make a lot of sense, but neither do I right now. So please listen. I, I, I looked at these things, and I came up with several things, and this is where we're going to close. In a church, there will always be complainers. It's the nature of us. It's the nature of who we are. We have a right to complain, remember? It's our duty to complain. They'll be the ones who think it's too hot. They'll be the ones who think it's too cold. They'll be the ones who think the music is too loud. They'll be the ones who say that we don't sing the right music. They'll be the ones who say the pastor talks too loud. They'll be the ones who say that the pastor speaks too much about hell. They'll be the ones who say the pastor gives an altar call at every service. Why would you do that? That's insane. And so on and so on and so on. But there will be those who complain against the pastor as he preaches his words, as I've seen this before. You take offense at something that's been said during the teaching, and it may be different than what you've heard. 
than what you were taught at another church. It might be different. Maybe it doesn't line up with your doctrine or your beliefs. You start to complain. You start to seek out others who might share your same thoughts, share your same passion for, yeah. You start to seek people out. You start to murmur and you grumble. And you always grumble around so people can hear you. So you can pull more people into your little clique. The complaining leads to murmurings. You grumble loud. Usually you grumble loud enough when somebody hears you an argument concerns. Well, no, it didn't mean that. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. And it goes back and forth. There's contention. There's quarreling. You might even go to the pastor and explain your position. If you do not hear what you want to hear from the pastor, what happens? You reject and you leave. Eventually, you reject the teaching altogether and you leave. You're disgruntled. You badmouth the church because the church didn't do as you believe it should. I've seen it happen. I've watched it happen. Second thing I see is a progression to sin and rejection of God. You're lacking in something or you're in need and you pray for it. But God either says yes, no, or wait, but you don't like his answer. You begin to complain to someone about God's ability to help you, and you murmur under your breath, especially when we have prayer times and somebody starts praying and thanking God for his grace and answering prayers, and you're sitting there going, you never answered my prayers. I asked for this new Mercedes, and I didn't get this. All I got was a bicycle. And you begin to complain about God. You come to church and you shake your head every time you hear somebody about God answering prayers. You shake your head. You begin to argue with God, and eventually you leave his love, and you start seeking the worldly answer to a spiritual condition that has happened in your life. You reject God's word. And finally, James writes this in James 1, beginning in verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and does, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We have a strong desire. Desire is good. Desire is not necessarily sin. But you desire things you can't have. You desire things you cannot have. The Bible comes against those things that you want that you can't have. So you begin to complain, and you begin to grumble because you want these things. You think your life would be better because of these things. So you want them, and you can't understand why God has made them bad. How dare God make this bad that I want it so badly? I can't believe it. You blame God for your unfulfilled desires. You end up rejecting his path for your life because he didn't let you fulfill your desires that you wanted to fulfill in the flesh, which, remember, profits you nothing. You reject God. You turn away from his word to fulfill your own desire. And it's really cool because as I looked at these verses, they talk about temptation as the bait. You fishermen, throw that bait out there. You throw that lure out there, and you give it a couple shots to see if something will bite it. Throw that lure out there. You're drawn away. You're lured into a trap. You're enticed like the bait to a fish, and you reject God. And when you seize the bait, you reject God, and that leads to death, which is separation from God. 
And there's only one way back. There's only one way back. It's the same way you got there in the first place. It's Jesus Christ on the cross. There's only one way back. Well, that's a hard saying, Dave. Yeah, I know it is. I know it is. But if you're going to complain about the saying, you're going to complain to God, you're not going to complain to me because I'm just a messenger. I'm just giving you the message that the Lord gave me. I wanted to finish the whole thing. The Lord said, no, you're not. I wanted to get down to it. In fact, the, title, the initial title of the message was, Where Can We Go? That's the verse I wanted to get to. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is the one. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. He's the one that sets us free. He's the one that breaks those chains that are binding you even right now. He's the one that died on the cross for your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. He's the one that died so you can have life and life more abundantly. He's the one that has given us everything for life and godliness. He's the one that's given you all these things. All these things have been given through him. The resources to live the Christian life. All these things. Please take a moment and read Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Read Ephesians 1, 2, 3 and find out what God has given you through Jesus Christ. You talk about the perfect Christmas gift. My goodness. Read it. Glean from it. He gives you the resources that will come against any opposing force. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Christ is in us. He's the hope of glory. And may I say, he's the only hope of glory. And that's what the message is all about. It's not about murmuring and complaining. It's not about that. It's about you rejecting God's word. Don't leave here cold-hearted. Don't leave here hard-hearted. Do not reject God's word. If I've said something that tickles your ear and you're not sure about, be a Berean, dig through God's word yourself, and let it minister to you what God wants to minister to you for that time. Please, please. And if you're in that position where you're rejecting God, where you're on your path, maybe you're complaining, maybe you're murmuring, maybe you're arguing and you're quarreling, maybe you're on that path. You see the path that you're on to rejecting God. If you're on that path, stop right now. Stop right now and repent. You know what repent means? Turn around. That's what repent means. Turn around. And if you turn from something, you have to turn to something. Turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Confess your sin, for he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do the things of your first love. Do the first works. Believe. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And he will carry you through. He will see you through. He will do it. Why? Because he's done it. It is finished. You are our time with you is coming to an end today on Assure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at AssureHopeRadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.